everyone. Welcome back to the show. This episode is with Dr. Maxwell Cooper, radiology resident and founder of the Da Vinci Academy and the Da Vinci Hour podcast. Maxwell and I talk about his podcasting journey and also his med device journey and how he's managed to do all of this during his residency training. Uh, for me, this was a really fun episode. It felt like I was just talking with a friend and kind of just hanging out and uh, you know talking about our, our, our lives and, and what we've been creating. Uh, so it's a little bit of a back and forth. I hope you guys enjoy this. If you do enjoy it, please leave us a five-star rating. Give us a comment. Tell us what you love most about this podcast. Uh, follow us on our socials, on LinkedIn, Beyond Medicine Group. We'll see you there. Welcome to the podcast, man. I'm really excited to have you on. And uh, I'm excited to just dive in and uh, uh, talk to a fellow podcaster. And I think what our audience would really be interested to hear about is how do you start a podcast? What goes into building a podcast? How do you get guests? Um, you recently had on Mark Cuban on your podcast. I'm sure a lot of people are curious how you managed to pull that off. And, uh, you know, I'm just really, really excited to, you know, I, when I was in residency, I also started a podcast and um, I know how hard it is to juggle residency and also find time to do a passion project like this. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear about your experience and uh, learn from you, but would love if you could just start, off, start us off with a, a, an intro about yourself, where you grew up, where you got started, what you're currently doing, how you got into the podcast industry and all of that. Yeah, sure. So first, Rami, I just want to say thank you for uh, having me on your podcast. You know, like you said, we just uh, had you on mine, which was a lot of fun. And I think we'll have fun on this one, too. So I'm excited to get into it. Uh, so my current, I guess, day job, if you will, is uh, I'm a resident physician at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a PGY3. Uh, and so I'm in the radiology department there doing uh getting trained in both diagnostic and interventional radiology. Uh, I eventually planned to pursue interventional radiology for the majority of my practice, mainly vascular and musculoskeletal and oncology interventions are kind of what my interest lies, but we'll see where that ends up as it or how it shakes out. Um, and then I grew up in, I spent most of my life in Ohio before I came down here. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio in the suburbs, uh, went to college at Case Western Reserve University, and then stayed there, did a master's in physiology, and then did a research year before med school, uh, which was at University of Toledo, which is kind of near you in Michigan, where you were uh, grew up. So yeah, I knew a lot of people from Michigan. We were kind of right there at the border, and then uh, came down here for a residency, did my internship here in clinical medicine, which was at Grady Hospital, which I could, we could probably do a whole podcast on my intern year. It was just full of all kinds of crazy stories and it was a great learning experience, but it was, it was something else for sure. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, it's the County hospital here in Atlanta. So we see all the, all the craziness and just really crazy complex pathology. Um, but anyways, uh, so yeah, now I'm doing, you know, radiology and IR. And then in addition to that, like you said, I, I host a podcast called the Da Vinci Hour podcast where it's really just as we'll, you know, we'll get more into it, I think, but it's, kind of just interviewing, you know, the way I describe it is really physicians is kind of the main focus of the guests, but I've had a number of non-physicians on as well. And so it's really anyone who's making a big impact in healthcare. So physicians, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, researchers, people like that, making people starting companies, innovate, doing innovative things, both in digital health and then also in medical device development, which uh, I'm also personally interested in because I am involved in some medical device projects here as well with you know, we are fortunate to have Georgia Tech down the road, which is a you know big engineering school. So we're working on some minimally invasive device projects uh, with them as well. So keeping myself busy these days as much as I can. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'd love to get into your podcast in a little bit and how you got started, and maybe we can focus a, a a good chunk of this conversation on how to start a podcast. I'm sure there's some listeners here that have you know thought about it thought it might be cool. I had an idea. Um, I think that there's uh, obviously a lot of resources already out there on how to start a podcast. And um, I think hearing it, hear, hearing about it from other doctors that have done it might be helpful. Um, and I can share my personal experiences as well uh, as anecdotes. But before, before we get into that, I'd love to, I, I'm just really curious about your background. Like, would love to know why you got into radiology. These aren't questions I typically ask on the show, but I'm just curious, you know, I, I feel like you have a diverse set of talents and interests and, and media and device. 
So I'm just really curious, why radiology? Why did you go into radiology? Was there something in particular that drew you in? Um, did you like the technology aspect of it? Um, so really, why radiology and why interventional? Um, and then maybe we can just uh, go from there. Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I, you know, reflect on and is kind of evolving. My answer kind of evolves. But I think it all started back when I think when I went to med school, kind of two th constant things have stayed constant throughout it is one, I, I always loved working my hands. I always want, I thought I wanted to do surgery at first, either neurosurgery or orthopedics or something like that. And then I always liked innovation medical. So I knew I wanted to be some type of proceduralist and some type of innovator in medicine, which, uh, you know, I'm at least training to be at this point right now. <laughs> I still got a few years left to go to get to the, the point I'd, I'd like to be at or some of the people I admire. But um, so, yeah, I would say that's I think what drew me to radiology was I had a hard time picking my specialty. And it's actually kind of what we'll get into a little bit later is kind of why I started the podcast in the first place. But I feel like you're, you're rushed through all these rotations in med school. You don't get necessarily the best look or, you know, certain looks at certain uh, specialties, especially some of the more like kind of niche ones like ENT or optho or things like that. But so what I would say is that I did rotations in neurosurgery. I did rotations in ortho, general surgery, obviously, cardiothoracic. I liked all of them. I really liked the surgery. I liked working my hands. I liked that you also took care of patients as well. I would say the one thing that always stood out, though, is I wanted to do innovation. And, and I started this company called Da Vinci Academy uh, in my third year because I tutored anatomy. I really loved anatomy, you know, again, working with my hands, doing the dissections, but then also just the conceptual aspect of anatomy, how the body's put together, how pathology affects anatomy and those types of things, and then using anatomy to kind of, you know, guide procedures and interventions. So, I, you know, again, it, that was further fulfilled by different surgical specialties. But what I noticed was, is that most surgeons are very, very busy. They have very little time for anything else. And so I did. And the other thing is like, you can't really do most surgery specialties part-time, you know, which is something I'm, I probably won't do initially, but maybe probably down the road. And when I'm in practice, you know, consider doing is, or at least having like one or two days a week where I do non-clinical stuff. And so you know, you can't really be a part-time neurosurgeon. It just doesn't work out that way. <laughs> and so, um, I would, I would say, and just, you know, just different, uh, other aspects, you know, the, the level of call, I was not interested in taking that level of call for all of my career. Obviously you got to pay your dues and do that early. But what got me into radiology is I spent time when I was on neurosurgery in the neurointerventional suite, which with the neuro IR guys doing, you know, stroke interventions, aneurysm interventions and things like that. And just, I was just blown away, like the way you can use minimally invasive, I mean, just through a little pinhole poke in the in the groin, you know, put it through the femoral artery. And, you know, you can pull a clot out of someone and dramatically, I'll never forget it. When we had a stroke, code stroke come in and there, we did a thrombectomy or the attending did a thrombectomy, not me. <laughs> but, and then I got the, I, I, <laughs> one day, but I, I had the, uh, the, really the privilege to round on that patient in the morning and, uh, and see that, you know, they came in with right, upper extremity weakness and they couldn't move their arm and then they were full you know they were had regained a significant amount of their function so i think the ability to dramatically impact someone's life you know in, in such a way with minimally invasive you know rather than these big open surgeries which you know are still very cool and still have their place but i think being able to do it through minimally invasive you know letting patients go home earlier have less problems and complications i think really appealed to me so got into residency, you know, applied for radiology residency because I knew that I, I liked the diagnostic aspect as well, you know, using imaging, you know, learning more about the anatomy, like, you know, how I said I had that passion for that. And then really combining those with procedures, it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. And then, like you said, the, the innovative aspect, I think I always wanted to go into a field that had a lot of potential for innovation. Uh, and so I, you know, IR is one that is, that is ripe with, with innovation there. There's new devices, I think, probably coming out almost every day now it's pretty pretty crazy so so yeah that's kind of you know it's it was kind of a torturous path but that's that's how i ended up getting into radiology and ir yeah well it's really interesting that you thought about other aspects of the specialty not just the clinical aspects like the full-time schedule being able to work part-time and do uh your own hours i think that's not often talked enough about because I remember uh, specifically for me, like I went into medicine wanting to do orthopedic surgery, uh, but then I realized that I didn't want to dedicate my life to the hospital. 
and I didn't want to, I, you know, I, I just, I, I also had a similar thought process. I was like, I do medicine. I want it to be like on a part-time basis um, because I, there's other things that I want to do in combination with that. And like, I remember that being a big decision maker for me, but yeah, interesting that you say that. Uh, were there any other elements of uh, radiology that particularly drew you into it? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Uh, it, I think I would first comment, you know, it's an interesting comment you made about how I consider things not just within the clinical realm. I mean, you know, a lot of people, they go into especially diagnostic radiology because it's, you know, it's great hours, it's good pay. You know, you're not, you don't have to deal with a lot of the, the nonsense yeah. that, or I shouldn't say nonsense, but the things that could be aggravating that people may think are nonsense, you know, in, cl- in the more clinical specialties, you know, having to, you know, be, have answer the pager after you go home, those types of things that can be uh, annoying to some people. But anyways, I, I, you know, it's interesting to bring that up because I have a lot of med students that reach out to me about, you know, what specialty. And I always think about, you know, not just what you like clinically, which I think is important because I loved orthopedics. I loved neurosurgery. You know, I loved other aspects of other surgical specialties, but it was just kind of, I kept coming back to, I wanted that time. It was kind of, I think you need to think about what you want out of your career. That's the advice I gave to medical students. And it's not just clinical. You got to think of how that clinical work plays into everything else that you're doing. So, I mean, if you're married with five kids, you got to think about how, you know, a surgical specialty would play into that. You know, maybe it can, you know, obviously there's people that make it work, but you know, you got to think about kind of way where, what you want. Also, I think a lot of people come in thinking they want to do, you know, a ton of research or basic science research. And I mean, really that if you want to do a surgical specialty, that doesn't usually, there's obviously people that pull that off, but I don't think that always works out well. Cause I, th- I remember I had someone reach out to me that said they want to do like high level neuroscience research and be a neurosurgeon, which there are those individuals out there, but I think, you know, it's, you got to be at the right hospital, the right academic center for that. And you got to really w- ask yourself, is that really what you want? And so I think that's an interesting, you know, observation you made. So, yeah, um, I would say what else drew me to the field was really, I think the ability to just do really innovative, you know, device development, I think learn more in depth about the anatomy. I think what's cool about radiology is, is we, and IR for that matter, is we're involved in, you know, every organ system. I mean, almost every patient that comes through the hospital or through a clinic sees radiology, whether it's for an x-ray or, you know, some of these high level MRI scans we're doing now. And so I think it's, it's just interesting to be, you're not limited to one particular area. So, you know, versus like a neurologist or a cardiologist or, or those types of specialties. So I think the ability to be involved in many different aspects of care and many different settings, you know, we read scans for patients in the ICU, in the inpatient setting, outpatient setting, uh, those types of things. And so, and then obviously IR is just an amazing field. I, I could go on about IR because it's, we just, you know, we do procedures yeah. all over the body. It's, it's just amazing. And there's new, and just like devices, they're just new interventions that people are coming up with now. I mean, people are coming up with all these new spine interventions and musculoskeletal, which has kind of really piqued my interest, uh, as well. Um, yeah. so do you think that you want to maybe create a medical device for IR someday? Yeah, that's, it's funny. Yes. That it's something, something I'm working on right now, uh, with, one of my co-residents, uh, I got to give a shout out to John Moon. He's a, he's a, a phenomenal innovator. He, he invented a device in medical school and started a company. And, uh, so he's working on that now. Wow. And yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a very talented individual, very, uh, he's been, and been a great guy to work with. And so he got me involved. He knew I was, was interested. He had some other ideas for projects. And we, we kind of got together one night and just had a brainstorming session. And it was just, we were at his apartment and just kind of thinking of new uh, device ideas because there was this grant coming up for the, through the Emory School of Medicine that we wanted to apply for. And we came up with the, the idea that we ended up applying for, which is uh, taking basically a sensor and putting it into an uh, arteriovenous graft to detect clot formation. And so what we did is we, you know, got with some collaborators, wrote this grant, and we won over $100,000 in grant money for this particular project. What? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's We did not expect yeah. this to happen. We, you know, obviously, and we're doing this, like, on top of, you know, I think, you know, doing rotations and things like that, and we're just, you know. This we, was we in were medical not, school a couple no, of years this, ago. No, this was during residency. This was, like, I think we got the grant maybe a few months ago, I think. Um, so this is more of a recent oh, development. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Add that on top of podcast host and uh, media company. Damn, you're doing a lot, man. That's yeah, amazing, yeah. Though. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's you know we it's not just us. We have you know we have some atten- some great faculty uh, advisors. We have an engineer at Georgia Tech that we're working with who's really developed some really innovative technology. Uh, Dr. Ya over at Georgia Tech, he's running a phenomenal lab. Doing he's he has all these clinical collaborators. He's basically coming up with all these sensor technologies that have all these clinical applications, which is really cool. And thankfully, we have some in IR. So yeah, that's 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 kind of the goal. We're working on that. We've we've also worked patented some catheter uh, catheter device that we're still kind of working through as well. Um, it's kind of in the we have like an engineer working on that for us. So it's a lot of like we come up with the device and design, but neither it's funny neither of us are an engineer by trade. Uh, but we kind of yeah. think of these devices you and come help up with the idea. Yeah, you we come, come up, up with, with the, like, the idea and theoretics of like how it should work, and then you know partner up with an engineer then yeah that's exactly how it is and and i think if for any physicians or medical students out there that are thinking about trying to get involved in this particular device especially devices i I think this could probably apply to digital health too but i think the real advantage you have as the physician is the clinical need because i i've talked with engineers who have really i mean really brilliant innovative technology or ideas that they're working on but some of the clinical applications they think they just don't you can tell it's like they don't understand it's kind of what we talked about on your on my podcast when you were saying how you know with some of these these companies you've talked with it you know they just don't know what they don't know and so it's the same thing here with engineering you know they again they have brilliant solutions but they don't necessarily know where this fits into the clinical uh, space and so you know this technology was developed already that we're trying to integrate into basically a basic arterial venous graft and you know, now we have, you know, we knew this is, you know, dialysis, as you know, dialysis, you know, patients are, you know, an ever-growing group of people, people with uh, end-stage renal disease. And so I think we can help a lot of people with this particular application. Um, and so that's, you know, as you know, as we can talk about later is getting, you know, getting things funded, getting, getting business people interested. You can't just help like two patients, mm-hmm. unfortunately, like you got to come up with something that's going to have yeah, like, yeah. like a, a wider effect. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. So is this something that you can potentially do part-time, like starting a, a med device? And uh, there's a, I, I'm guessing there's a number of steps you got to jump through. Uh, you got to patent, number one. Um, probably there's some regulatory um, things and hurdles you got to jump through. And then there's, I, I'm guessing, clinical trials as well um, would be a part of that. Or is that not necessary? Yeah, so it's interesting you bring that up. The The medical device is not as stringently, and this is kind of a controversial thing, it's not as stringently regulated as like the pharma industry is. So the pharma industry is very stringently re- regulated. I believe you need two pretty robust clinical trials to get a drug through. That's why the drug approval process takes so long. The medical device process is, mm-hmm. is still lengthy, but not nearly as lengthy as the, the, the drug approval process. So yeah, I think... There's basically what's called pre-market approval, which is where if you come up with a brand new device and it's an implantable device, and there's more nuances to it, but just in general terms, then you have to go through, like you said, a clinical trial. But again, it's not as, and again, you know, there's different opinions on this. It's not as robust as say like a long-term, you know, clinical trial you would do with a new drug. Now there's also what's called the 510K approval, which is the other kind of the two, those are kind of the two buckets of approval. And the 510K is more yeah. so for if you develop a device that's kind of similar to what's already out there, you don't necessarily need a clinical trial to demonstrate, you know, efficacy and in, in that. So I think if you kind of just have some, you know, more basic science and lab testing that demonstrates it, it, you know, the efficacy, then that will be, you know, in some cases enough to get it proven. It just depends also on what you're trying to do. But yeah, I think as far as where this fits into what, what I want to do is... Um, you know, I, you know, we're gonna have to bring other experts in along the way. We're in the very early stages. We're kind of refining the design process right now, uh, and then with the other catheter device, we're kind of in the prototype stage with that. So it's really just kind of, you know, coordinate. We're kind of like the overseers at this point, or the coordinators. We kind of make sure, kind of move things around. You know, make sure all the moving parts are moving in the right direction and that type of thing. And so, um, I think eventually what we'll probably have to do is start maybe a, a company or an LLC and then apply. There's these government grants, which are pretty cool called small um, SBIR grants, some small business innovation, innovative research grants, I think is what they stand for. And they're from the NIH and they're for small businesses working on innovative technology. So we're hope is, you know, may, maybe eventually apply for one of those and 
kind of start out a company and recruit some more people to, to help us bring this to fruition. So that's kind of the, the long-term goal. I think where it fits into clinical practice, I think at least for the short term, I have to balance it on top of everything else I'm doing. But thankfully I've got a lot of other people, you know, working with me. I'm not doing this alone. So (laughs) very cool. Are you, so are you guys going the five ten K route? I think so. I think that's what we'd like to to do. Uh, I think sometimes it's not up to you. It's it's up to the FDA. But I right. think that's that's our hope is is uh, is to go that way because we're essentially just yeah. using something that's already like people are putting arteriovenous grafts you know every day into patients. So I think we're hoping that we can just kind of ride yeah. that ride that wave. Are most are most of these intervent like uh, medical devices in, spe- in specialty specific industries like? Are they usually created by clinicians? Like who's, who are most of the inventors of these devices? Yeah, it's an interesting question. That's something I've kind of just read more about and talking to people. I think it's a mix. There's a lot of, I think there's some very, very innovative physicians out there that they come up with the, you know, it's usually if it's a physician, they usually have done it like many, many times, you know, like there's, there's an, there's a famous IR named uh, Bob Smouse, who's, I think he's on his, you know, he's invented i don't even know how many devices and then there's a guy like tom fogarty who's a vascular surgeon out in california who i think has 200 something patents and now he owns a vineyard out there he's just kind of enjoying life out there julio palmez also owns a vineyard out there he's the guy who originally invented the coronary stent <laughs> <laughs> so he he was actually an ir oh wow yeah but he's got a big vineyard. yeah yeah he's got a big vineyard big house yeah yeah he's living <laughs> good out there <laughs> but yeah do they uh when when they get a patent, do they is it is the business route to get the patent and then license it out, or what's the stra- is there a strategy around it? Because I'm sure that they're not always going and starting the company themselves. Yeah, I think it's a mix. I think in the old days you could kind of come up with these projects and start with companies. You know, a guess I had on recently was Dr. Gary Michelson, who's actually he's a billionaire physician inventor. Um, I think he's one of like fifteen or twenty physicians that are on like the Forbes, you know, billionaire list and. He has like not something like 900 patents, incredibly innovative guy, really just a brilliant guy. And he did that all while practicing orthopedic spine surgery full time. Like he, I asked him, I was like, did you ever think about going part time or do, you know, even just quitting altogether and doing, cause he was, you know, making way more money doing devices than he was as a practicing doctor. And he goes, no, I loved surgery. I loved practicing. So mm-hmm. he never gave it up until he's, he doesn't practice anymore now. He does philanthropy, but he would do what you're talking about more so licensing. He he never really kind of started his own like device company and hire salespeople and all that stuff. I think what you're seeing more now recently is there's a lot of yeah. people start small companies more as kind of it holds the intellectual property. It's, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of legal protection. It allows you to kind of raise money versus just raising money yourself. And then usually these get acquired. It's kind of like the strategy you see a lot of people do because to get to get a device to approval is already an arduous process, but then to actually get it out and make money is a whole different ball game. I mean, you've got to get, you know, a full sales team in, you've got to get marketing and all that stuff. And where that's where partnering with, you know, the big players like Medtronic, Boston scientific, you know, those types of companies can, you know, help you bring it, bring it to the large stage. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And, uh, I think, you know, a lot of times companies are looking to save time, right? So they're, they're looking to, they're looking to acquire, especially like private equity, um, you know, that sort of thing. Like they'd rather buy a company that's already uh, saved them six months, a year's worth of time of getting approval and like success. So you can, you can get a pretty significant um, exit through just that concept. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's always the stories of people, of physicians, unfortunately, that weren't as savvy as they should have been probably. Um, but yeah, if you play your cards right, you can definitely, you can have some, some pretty, some pretty nice, nice exits for sure in the, in the medical device. What are some cautionary tales or examples of that? I don't know if I have any, I always think of there, I remember there was a case I was on a cardiothoracic surgery rotation and there was a perfusionist, the guy who runs like the, the heart lung machine when someone's on bypass. And I remember him, he was talking about a cardiac surgeon he worked with who he had developed some type of catheter device for the heart lung machine specifically that device was ended up he patented i don't i don't even know i think he patented it and he sold it for like some small amount of money you know maybe at the time it seemed like a lot of money but he ended up or he never he didn't do basically he didn't do a good job of protecting his ip and this bigger company took it over 
because he really did it just to make better patient care is basically was his goal like which is kind of a funny yeah it's kind of funny you see this a lot a lot of these physician inventors like they're just trying to improve patient care a lot of times they're not trying to become billionaires or you know necessarily change the world or anything they're just trying to make patient right. care better or make their own lives easier um and so he just he invented yeah which is why they build a great products yeah no a hundred percent a hundred percent um and so he invented this device and he the perfusionist ended up telling me he goes yeah he told me he goes yeah if i had played my cards i'd be a multimillionaire off of that and i probably wouldn't even have to do surgery anymore but he literally made no money off of it <laughs> so someone else made a lot of money off of it and there's uh-huh. other there's unfortunately other examples of that out there where I think people are either too trusting or they don't, you know, I think one thing that you need to do is, is is you can always, and Gary Michelson talked about this, is you can always apply for a provisional patent. So if you have your idea, you get it down, you write it up, you file a provisional patent, and then you have a whole year to kind of fully develop that before you have to apply for like the real patent, like the, you know, a full, a fully, you know, working patent that is much more expensive and requires an attorney and things like that. And so I think, you know, for people out there thinking of developing device ideas or any type of patentable idea just file a provisional and then work on it further and then you can get people to do non-disclosure agreements and things like that and and you know people you know then you can kind of have some legal protection there yeah well with the provisional pen do you is are there certain requirements like do you have to like draw like draw out the whole idea describe how it works um, yeah so i you know along with my Carez and john I, you know I, we wrote a provisional patent for one of our one of the cat that catheter device we were, i was telling you telling you about and so, yeah, you, you come up with some schematics you use. It's good to have, like, CAD. Uh, John's really good at doing CAD drawings, so uh, we were able to come up with some nice CAD drawings for the device. And then, and then yeah, you write up exactly, you know, exactly what you said. You write up how it works, you know. And you don't need to have a functional, you know, we certainly didn't have a functional prototype at all at this point. You know, we just had essentially an idea. And, you know, you write up how it works. You write up a lot of the clinical indications. And with that, you try to be very broad because, you know, if you say, like, let's say you come up with some kind of stent device and you're like, you know, this is a great stent for coronary artery disease. The problem with that is, yeah, that's a huge market, but stents in itself is a huge market, you know, because people could use those, you know, in the carotid artery or in the femoral artery or, you know, wherever. And so you just cut yourself out of just right there, neuro and peripheral vascular disease, two massive markets. And so, you know, I think making the language as broad as you, I mean, obviously you don't want to be too ridiculous, but making it as encompassing as possible is, is the ideal way to write it. <laughs> Got it. And you don't, and you don't need to hire a lawyer to do that. You can learn to do that yourself. And, yeah. And yeah. So for that, we didn't need to hire an attorney. You know, if you're at a hospital or a university, you can, you know, use the office of technology transfer at, you know, where we are to kind of help you. But even that, like, you don't necessarily even need to involve them at that stage. I think they're always willing to help you, but you know, that's something you can you can file without having to spend you know a ton of money on legal fees or anything like that. I think it's I think it's like a couple hundred bucks to to file a provisional patent with the U.S. Uh, patent Office. Interesting. Well, damn, you've, you're you're doing a lot, man. Uh, very impressive. Uh, I'm my first thought is how do you have time to do all of this? So we got to get into that a little bit. How are you juggling all of these things? <laughs> yeah, it's you know people ask me that all the time, and you know. I try, it's, it's, uh, I'm not ADD, but I feel like I, I have so many things that like pop into my mind and there, I have, believe me, there's like 10 other things I'd love to do, but I just, you gotta cut it off at some point. <laughs> so you can do anything, but not, not everything. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I think yeah. that the way I do it is and the advice I've gotten from other, and this is some people I've talked to on the podcast. Like one guest I had was Dr. Lars Fenson. He was a very early mentor of mine. He's the chair of the heart and vascular Institute at the Cleveland clinic. And just an incredibly brilliant and phenomenal uh, clinician and then surgeon. And then he's also, he's developed, he was one of the PIs on like the TAVR, like transcatheter aortic valve replacement, you know, that was, you know, had like five papers in the New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, he's just probably one of the most accomplished people in medicine. And I remember he said, I asked him something like this, is he said, you always want to make sure you deliver the best patient care. So he's like, you always want to make sure you take good care of your patients. And so... I think for me, I always make sure that my, my clinical work is the number one priority, you know, outside of, you know, my family and things like that. But as far as my professional aspects of my life is, is, uh, making sure my clinical training and, and work comes first and, uh, you know, don't, not to compromise that. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here to do. And so, um, I think that's, that's kind of number one, but how I balance it, I think, 
you know, it's it's evenings and weekends. It's uh, you know, the, I, I've kind of gotten to the point now where I do things that I'm very passionate about. So I don't do something unless I'm very passionate. Like I have attendings who ask me to work on some research project with them, or you know, some write fill up write up some abstract. And I, I mean, respectfully, I don't do it if I'm not interested in it. And so it's you know, fortunately, I'm at the stage now where I have enough other things going on, and you know, I don't need things to fill my CV. Uh, fortunately, I've gotten to that point where. I can kind of just pick things that I want to yeah. that I want to work on, and I think that's really important. I think even if you're at an earlier stage, even when I was a medical student, I mean, obviously you do things to kind of help move yourself along and fill your CV. But I think don't do something unless you're not super passionate about it, because then it just becomes a chore. And so I think for me, for me, 100%. it's kind of picking things I'm passionate about, picking picking things that I really enjoy that I'm excited about, and then I think as far as time goes, it's you know what I do in the evenings. You know, for I'm. You know, I'm not married. I don't have kids, so I think if that were my scenario, that would probably wouldn't be able to do as much of this stuff. <laughs> but I think it's you know, and I, I still I play golf, yeah. I play tennis. I, those are things I've done since I was a little kid, uh, so I fit those in. But I don't do those as much as I'd like to, you know. And I try to stay fit, I try to stay work out, but and work out and stuff. But sometimes that falls by the wayside, which probably probably shouldn't let that slide as much as I do. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think. It's kind of just organized, and then I'm just very like my calendar is crazy. I'm very, I'm always checking it. I'm always making sure that I don't because if I don't put something on my calendar, I'll forget. It just won't happen. And so I think keeping myself extremely yeah. organized, 100%. keeping you know those types of things, and then it comes in waves. Like there's certain times where like I'm working a lot on the device stuff. You know, like we're writing like that time we were writing a grant. I wasn't doing much else. I don't think I did any podcast episodes during that time. I didn't you know. Uh, you know, I wasn't making videos for the YouTube mm -hmm. channel. I wasn't doing anything like that. Um, and then there's times where like, you know, I can, we're kind of handing things off to the engineers and then, you know, I can do more with the podcast or do more with, you know, making stuff for the, the DaVinci Academy YouTube channel. And so it kind of just comes in waves and kind of where I focus my attention. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Any, uh, deep dive efficiency tips, like you said, uh, scheduling, um, and staying organized is really big for me. It's everything, um, because I'm naturally a very unorganized person. Well, I think growing, like I think, uh, in my younger days, so I had to develop habits to get organized or else my life was just chaos because I think I was a little bit on the ADHD spectrum myself, undiagnosed, but still, um, and so organization and structure is everything to me. And so like if something's not on my calendar, it doesn't <laughs> um, <laughs> Any Anything in particular, anything in particular for you like that, like really makes a big difference. I, I think life? that doing the calendar, I think my, my Google calendar, I put reminders in there. Like I'll put, I'll put, it's ridiculous. Like I'll put like 30 minute, one day, two day, five day, like multiple reminders for stuff just that like, so I don't, you know, forget that something's coming up or that I need to do something. I think I even put stuff in my calendar where like I need to call somebody or I need to follow up with somebody or things like that because otherwise it won't happen. I used an app called Todist or I think that's how you say it. I'm probably not saying it right, maybe. But it's it's uh it's a free app. You I think you can pay for like a premium part of it, but it, I use that a lot in medical school. It's nice cuz you can electronically put it in your to-dos, you can access it on your phone, you can give yourself email reminders. The problem is some I don't use that as much anymore cuz I have too many to do's to do so <laughs> um it just gets kind of overwhelming when i open it up i keep a word a google word document with kind of the immediate things i'm trying because a lot of the tasks i put down they can't be done in a day like you know you can't put down do podcast episode whatever like as you know that's a process like there's there's a lot involved in that so i think i try to yeah. put you know schedule the podcast record it edit it you know and so on post it uh which sometimes you can't do that all in one week, yeah. especially when you're balancing other things. So I think I try to just keep like a weekly to-do list of things. And then I kind of have a global to-do list in the background of like, you know, man, it'd be really great when I get all these things done. But I don't look at that as often because then it just makes me <laughs> feel sad that I don't have as many things crossed off as I'd like to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any Any productivity hack that you've like, discovered in the last year or so that's really made a big difference in your life that you know like for sure doing this one thing uh made a significant change for you i don't know if it's one such thing i think it's really what you decide to spend your time on and focus i think if you're excited about it you're going to have the energy for it i think 
you know, especially if you've worked, you know, done a clinical, you know, clinical day or like even you, like all the things you're working on, you know, I'm sure, you know, beyond just beyond, you know, beyond medicine group, you know, you have all these other things you're working on. So I think, you know, it's very obvious that you're very passionate about beyond medicine group and, and your podcasts and everything. And so I think it's, that's why I think it's so important to pick things that you're, you know, you're passionate about that you're going to have the energy. Cause I mean, a lot of times when I do these things, I'm tired. Like I'd rather just hang out, you know? <laughs> like, and so I think, I think that's yeah. kind of been my, my drive. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't think I have like any super great efficiency yeah. tips or, or tricks or anything. I think it's just, you know, just being passionate about what you're doing, I think is probably the biggest yeah. thing. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Beyond Medicine Group. That is us. We are a health tech community, and we are a community really for all health tech enthusiasts, including physicians, founders, investors, anybody that has anything to do with health tech. If you're not part of Beyond Medicine Group, honestly, you're missing out. Really, we started this group because we wanted to connect our clinical leadership with digital health founders and our founders that are looking for experts, really experts in the field that can help them with building their companies, helping with either feedback or consulting or advising. Uh, this is just really a collaborative community and we're housed on Slack. We do a lot of conversations and job boards and all various types of things that we can all benefit from. So if you're not part of the community, make sure you check it out, beyondmedicinegroup.com. It's $10 a month or $100 for the year. With that, you get access to our member directory, our job board, you get resources, you get my support, uh, you get our community support. So check it out, beyondmedicinegroup.com. Dude, 100%, I would agree with that. Um, the reason I ask is because for me, there's I've noticed that when I like for me, a recent discovery for me is that setting like these daily goal benchmarks, for example, when I was growing the beyond medicine group community, um, when I first started, I was like, I'm going to send out 20 invites a day and until I get to a hundred invites and then I'll slow down a little bit. And so every day I was emailing, messaging, LinkedIn, whatever, 20 people, I had to hit that benchmark. Um, and I could do it whenever throughout the day. And like, I wouldn't even notice it. Like I'd be between calls or something, or I'd be, you know, in between doing something, I'd go on LinkedIn and then send a few more messages. And by the end of the day, I'm like, I've reached that number. And right. And like, I realized something in that process. And it's that if I set this intention out and, and this goal for each day, like I have to have, because if you don't set the goal, the whole day will pass and you haven't sent out one. Right. And uh, I realized that I have to proactively set these goals every single day and even every week, set a bigger goal and then break it down into smaller goals by a daily process. For me, that like this was only in the last couple of months that I discovered. Like I'm sharing this now because maybe it'll resonate with someone or maybe they'll think to do that. But setting that daily goal of like, I'm going to do this today, like literally changed my life. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I I would say if, if anything helped my efficiency, it was honestly intern year. <laughs> I think it's it, what you're, as you're telling me about this, having this, you know, these daily to do's, you know, when you, as you know, when you come in in the morning, you have your patients, you got to go see, you have your to-do list, you know, for each of your, essentially for each of your patients. And like, these are things that like, they can't get put off. Like they have to get done. You have to put these orders in, you have to follow up on these labs, you have to follow up on this imaging, whatever. And so I think, yeah you have certain right right in the back pocket yeah yeah paper. oh yeah no i still do that on ir <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and so i think yeah i think i think residency it's kind of like as you know it's like it's sink or swim you know like you kind of have to it, you kind of at least intern you're like when you're the one you know fielding a lot of that stuff like it's it it kind of makes you you know manage things and multitask and, and get things done in an efficient way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's pretty cool. And, I, and yeah, dude, intern year for sure made me much more productive. I think training in general did. Um, 
especially getting used to working like those long hours. Now it's like you, you know, we're putting in the regular hours every day is a lot easier. Um, let's, uh, let's switch gears for a little bit because I think a lot of people are curious to know more about your podcast and how you started it. And like I mentioned, I think a lot of people have thought about starting a podcast, especially now. Um, and would love to hear, you know, how you got started and what it was like getting started. And if you have any, any practical tips for anyone who's looking to get started. The podcast, I would almost say, this may be hard to believe, I would say I was almost a reluctant podcaster in a way. It was something I, I tossed around the idea because I, I consume a lot of podcasts. I really, you know, because being busy, you know, you I like listening to them when I work out or when I'm on the go and stuff. Like it feels weird to drive in the car now without listening to a podcast. And so... It was something I really thought about doing, but kind of I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. You know, I don't know if like, I don't know if I'm that great of an interviewer. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I was kind of like hesitant or reluctant about it, but I did it. Dude, you're a natural interviewer. You interviewed me and I was like, I, that was probably one of the best uh, interviews that I've personally been interviewed. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and it's, it's good to hear that. And, um, you know, because it's, it's now it's become something I love doing it. And so I think how I got started was, you know, I produce it through Da Vinci Academy, which is a company I, you know, like I mentioned, I co-founded in med school and we, we started out, we made a bunch of video courses for anatomy, histology, uh, and biochemistry. And then we've kind of segued into, we had a kind of an educational podcast called Da Vinci cases. So I was sort of a podcaster, I guess, in a way that we had these cases that we put out and it's actually gotten fairly popular. It's these like case videos that we've put out. I don't do, I, tr I used to do them every week and now it's, if you look at it, it's like every few months. <laughs> and so I'm sorry to anyone else who listens to out there. I'm trying to get, trying to do them more in bulk or get other people. I got a med student to do some of them for me. So those are coming out soon. But um, anyway, sorry, um, I digress. And so I wanted to help promote all these, the the Da Vinci Academy. And so I thought a oh, podcast would probably be a good way to do that. And so it kind of started out as that. And then I, I didn't want to just do it to promote the you know, YouTube channel is, it was more to, uh, you know, provide value and kind of what we were talking about earlier is I felt like med students, you, you don't always get the best look at certain specialties. You don't always get kind of the inside on different specialties. So I was like, I'm going to bring some people on that I know really well that I can ask them the kind of questions that you might be afraid to ask as a med student. So I brought, you know, a mentor of mine on, who's a, an, an attending neurosurgeon. That's just a phenomenal guy. And, you know, he stayed a mentor to me. I, you know, I was just talking to him last week and, you know, and so I picked his brain, you know, because I think people need to realize, you know, kind of the full extent of those, some of those specialties. And I think it's evolved now to other things that I ask about, but, you know, I asked about call, you know, what's that really like, what's your lifestyle really like? And so I think the first 10 episodes were kind of, there were a lot of like focusing on people's specialties and things like that. And then kind of getting an inside look at like what their lives really were like, but something interesting happened where I would ask them a lot. I always, you know, I don't know if it's just the nature of the people I associate with or what, but a lot of these people had other things going on outside of clinical medicine that were really interesting. So the feedback I started getting was, hey, like we like hearing about this person's, like how they did their research, how they balanced that with their clinical work, or this person, how they developed this device or this technology or worked on this innovation project. So I started kind of evolving and now it's kind of evolved to more where I still, I've done a few specialty videos recently, but, or specialty box episodes, but it's more focused on kind of how people are making their impact in healthcare, kind of like what I talked about earlier. So now it's, you know, a wide array of, of, of guests and that's kind of how it's evolved. And you, you know how it is yeah. like these, these podcasts, they kind of have a, a, a starting point. And then as you do it and get more guests and learn, it kind of evolves, if you will. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned so much. I've done probably over a hundred episodes now and we've probably released 70 of them. Um, and I've learned so much from talking to people and I think the, and I've learned a lot from our listeners as well, because I always, I'm constantly asking for feedback and how can we make this better? And I try to elicit honest feedback. Like I tell people like roast me, uh, like I want to know. And I roast myself too, cause I'm extremely hard on uh, critical. Like, so when I, I listen back to every single episode we do take notes and, um, try to figure out how to make it better. But I think what a lot of listeners like is they like to see themselves in someone else's story. So you, as, as you're listening, you want to see how can you, you want to relate to the person, right? You want to see yourself in their story. You want to see yourself either as them in the future or doing what they're doing. I think that's a big motivator. That's why we listen to, you know, people we admire or inspire to be like, 
um, or people who are going through a similar struggle as us uh, that have gone through something very difficult that we're also currently going through, uh, which I think is like for for the doctor community, it's why we want to hear from other doctors, especially ones that are doing things that you know, either we're too scared to do or we want to do one day or we don't know how to do, but like there's another doctor doing it. So if they can do it, we can do it, right? It removes a little bit of the imposter syndrome uh, because you think that, you know, if another doctor did it, then you, you could probably do it too. They figured it out. Um, so it's a really, uh, you learn a lot about psych- like psychology, I think, of like how to be a listener, how to understand what people, and, and you probably know, are realizing this now, being the interviewer and being the speaker are night and day. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. What do you enjoy more? I enjoy being on this end, man. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, I do that. I just show up. That's all I'm doing here. Like, <laughs> yep. yeah. But it makes you a better speaker. I don't know if you've realized that or not yet. Yeah, I think definitely. You know, it it makes you a better speaker. I think it makes you think more critically about your conversations you have with people, especially when it's. I mean, obviously you're hanging out with your friends. That's a different story. But like if, you know, when you're having professional type conversations, I think it makes you more attentive to things. It makes you ask better questions. It makes you, I think the way I prepare for interviews has helped me prepare for like meetings and things like that, that where I want to, you know, obtain a specific objective and things like that. So yeah, I think it's, it's an incredible networking tool too, that I've, I didn't anticipate at first. Oh, I mean, the, oh my gosh. the people I've been able to speak to, you know, through this podcast, like, I, I mean, I don't think they would have responded. I mean, they would have blown me off. I mean, you know, I'm. You well, know. you had Mark Cuban on your show, which we have to talk about. Yeah. I mean, uh, I still get asked about that all the time. It, you know, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I remember I talked with Aaron Fritz the first time I met him. It was literally the first question. He goes, first question I have to ask you is how in the world did you get Mark Cuban on your podcast? It was the first thing he said to me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so uh, I really, it was just a cold email. I mean, I just, I found his email address. I read an article because he gets email. He does everything through email. Like he doesn't do business meetings. He doesn't like go to an office. Like he does everything through his email. Now, I don't know if he has like more than one email, probably. Yeah. But the one he like puts out to the public is just like mcuban at gmail.com. And so it's like you can, anyone can email him. And so he, uh, yeah. He, you know, reads, he theoretically, he says, he he told me when I interviewed him, he reads every email he gets, but he said he probably deletes over 90% of them. And so he, you know, he likes, and I got this sense from talking to him is, is he likes when you're very direct. He does not want to hear your life story. He does not want to hear like, you know, how you got inspired to do something in fifth grade. Like he wants you to get straight to the point. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, <laughs> I I wrote a very. I don't I think, care why you wanted to become a doctor. <laughs> no, no, yeah, he doesn't want to hear about that. And so it's it's he yeah. wants you know. I mean, and I get it. I mean, I can't even imagine how many emails he gets. You know, he's probably getting yeah. tons of emails at this moment right now. <laughs> I mean, and people pitching him things yeah, and yeah. asking him to show up for things and stuff. So I think I just made it very like specific. I said I think you know what you're doing with cost plus drugs could be very beneficial for my audience. I said we don't learn about this as you know and med school or even residency you know we don't learn how the pharmaceutical industry works and he's like i listened to him on another podcast and he was i mean it was unbelievable i'm like he knows probably more than a lot of doctors do about how the whole pharma business works and he so I, and so he knows a lot i was listening to one too yeah it's amazing and i mean he's an incredibly smart guy i don't know how he learns like all this different stuff but i think you know it was you know that's that's how i was able to get him on i mean otherwise i wouldn't have you know, I'm not an NBA player. I don't know. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to get get a chance to talk with him. And uh. <laughs> any other any other dream guests that you have? Um, I would say, I think anyone who's making a big impact. There's some. I think uh, Tom Fogarty, somebody I'd like to talk to. I think just to pick his brain, even just to talk with him for ten or fifteen minutes, even just to like, it's amazing just to pick these pre- That's people's the brains. Inventor? Yeah, the guy. He's a he was a vascular surgeon for a long time. He ran like a venture capital. For, I mean, talk about a guy who like literally did it all. I mean, he practiced surgery at Stanford. He, uh, you know, invented all these devices, started numerous companies, venture capital firm. I mean, just amazing. And I think just to pick his brain, another guy is Toby Cosgrove, who was the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, incredible innovator. 
for you know he was he's not the CEO anymore, but he's since retired. But just an incredible innovator, incredibly busy clinically. I mean, just you know, learning how these people operate and do do what they do is just incredible. And then so- Sanjay Gupta, who's on the faculty here at Emory, I've tried to get, I'm trying to get him on. We'll see we'll see if he I can get him. He's I'm having a hard time finding a hold of him. So if anyone knows how to get a hold of him, let me know. Um, but I'd, I'd love to have him on. Uh, I see his name on you know scans that get ordered in radiology. So. I know he's out there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, really? That's yeah, funny. yeah. He's he still practices a little <laughs> bit. I think uh, at, mainly at Grady yeah. Hospital, actually, which is you know the the county hospital here in Atlanta. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so are you, are you more so curious about? We'll we'll go back to the podcast building, but I'm just I want to keep going on this uh, tangent here. Um, are you more curious about people's stories or like just how they did it? Um, or because that's what I like. Sometimes for me, I like selfishly i want to like know how they did it like I, I one of the things that i uh like ever since i was a little kid like if someone did something i didn't want to just hear like oh i did this i don't i hate when people play things down like i need to know the details of how you did it <laughs> because my brain doesn't work that way like i have to visualize like and and like understand it like wow i need to know the details and so that's sort of I think I think that's why I like talking to people because I I really want to know how they do certain things because then I can apply that knowledge to my own life and uh maybe take pieces here and there and integrate it into my life but um but and it turns out like a lot of people want to hear that too. Yeah, definitely. I I'm the same way, you know, it's funny you say that. I I like finding out how people tick. I try to ask like kind of like how I said when I started it, like I wanted to ask the questions that like everyone wants to know the answer to, but maybe won't are afraid to ask. And so, you know, what started out when I would ask them, you know, just different attendings and stuff, you know, I'm, I'm not a med student anymore, so I can get away with asking some of this stuff. Plus I know in the early days I knew these guys, so it wasn't like a big deal. You know, I knew they wouldn't care. Um, but I think even still, like I try to, a lot of the way I prep for my interviews is I listen to the guests. If they've done other podcasts, I listen to, at least like one or two other episodes they've done on another podcast. And I try to, obviously you're going to ask some of the same things, but I try to ask things that are more specific that are even just interesting to me. And I think might be interesting to other people. So yeah, I think getting, getting people's story and yeah, I, like I'm very interested in people's career path. Like even though it's kind of the focus of the podcast has changed, I always try to dive a little bit into that, you know, how, like how do they get started? Like recently, I, I it's not hasn't come out yet. I interviewed Tiffany Moon, who's a anesthesiologist in Texas, and she was on the Real Housewives of Dallas, you know, which is like a reality TV show, and which is, and uh, you know, just she's got this huge social media following now. And now she does all these media appearances, and so one of the things I asked her was like, how did you even get into that? Like, how does a doctor get on a reality TV show like that and, and, you know, and everything. And so it was, it was just interesting to hear, like, you know, she said she had never done any like TV or media or anything like that before. And she just had a friend who was also on the show and, and, you know, got, she was approached by the producers and then it's just interesting to see. And then, you know, these people who build these companies, I think as you've done on your podcast, it's, it's fascinating to hear, like, cause you, you think it's all sunshine and rainbows. You don't realize like, and you know, I know you know this very well is that, it's a very bumpy road. There's a lot of things that happen you don't expect. There's a lot of really, I mean, it's really hard to get a company and start it from nothing and bring it to something where like people are actually paying you money for your product or service or whatever. It's incredibly, incredibly hard. And I think it's important one to hear those stories, but also to like, for people to know that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you talk, when I've realized this, when I talk to these founders that have, done this successfully they're so humble like the they just talk about it in a way like it was easy but you know you know it wasn't you know they've gone through a lot of struggle and pain to get there and maybe that's why they're humble because uh like you know they've probably been through a lot but um yeah i i agree people's stories are fascinating and uh, i think it's one of the best things about doing a podcast and um like there's there's so many positives like i can't even tell you the number of opportunities that i've had come in through the networks and the relationships i built through this thing and i'm sure the same is happening for you uh so i think that and i think everybody should have one i mean if you can speak well i mean even actually if you can't speak well it's probably more reason to do a podcast because it will make you a better speaker 
Um, and even if you don't want to do one that's fancy and it's just with you and your friends and maybe you don't even do anything with it, but I think it's a great learning experience. No, it's, I, you know, I learn something from every episode I do, you know, no matter who it is, you know, and I think it's, it's an incredible networking opportunity, but it's also a great learning opportunity. And I, I honestly, I, I just, I, like I said, I was very reluctant to do it at first and I love doing it now. It's like the main thing I, I focus on. I, I used to, you know, like I said, I used to, I did some video courses and stuff. I don't really do that as much anymore. I mean, they're still out there for people on the YouTube channel and stuff, but this is like kind of my main, as far as like my media things go, like this is kind of my, my main, my main focus now. And, and it's just, you know, um, and, and yeah, like you said, I've had some unique opportunities come. I, I didn't even plan on that or have any, you know, hope for that really. And they've kind of some unique networking and other opportunities have come as a result of it, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Now, do you have any help? Do you, did you like do this all on your own? How did you get started? Yeah. So for DaVinci Academy, my co-founders were my two brothers actually. So I don't know if my parents planned it this way or what, but so I'm a physician and then my one brother is a software engineer. And then my other brother is in finance. He works, he did investment banking for a long time and now he's in private equity. So shout out to Charlie and Jacob. Uh, my two bros. And so they started the company with me and, you know, I had this idea back then, you know, that was when like, you know, things like Pathoma were, you know, kind of all the craze and sketchy micro and all those other resources people use. So I was like, you know, I think, you know, people are looking for more easy to use online based education platforms and they bought into it. And, you know, we're five years later, we're still doing it. And so, uh, but as far as the podcast goes, yeah, I mean, I, I approached them about the idea. They immediately thought it was a great idea. They were like, oh, you should totally do it. You know, they were very encouraging about it. And it still, it took a few months for me to like finally, one, just kind of figure out what I wanted to do with it, you know, feel like I was ready to do it and start it. And, you know, really they, they helped me with kind of all the aspects of it, you know, getting it on the website. You know, we kind of split the editing. I do some of the editing. They do some of the editing. Um, my one brother helps me with kind of we're trying to make new like those like preview clips you see or those like teaser clips from different episodes, like a high point of, of the episode. We're trying to get those out and put those out on our social media. So just people can see kind of the highlights of the podcast and then also just to raise awareness about it. So, yeah, I definitely I definitely have I do a lot of the work. I do all the scheduling myself. I do, you know, obviously all the recording and stuff and then. Um, but I also have some help as well, which is, which is good. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And now it's a lot easier now to start a podcast. There's all these streaming sites, um, where you can, uh, you know, basically it's like turnkey, you start your podcast and you really just got to record and upload your audio, which is pretty cool. It never used to be like that. Um, so it's a lot easier today and you really just got to jump on zoom and press record and you got something to go off of. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Maxwell. I've, uh, you know, I think that what you're doing is great. And I, I definitely think we're going to stay in touch, hopefully, and continue to collaborate together. Uh, would love to help your uh, my audience, uh, you know, follow you, listen along. Uh, you can check out our the episode you and I did together where you kind of turned the tables here. And uh, I, I went into a lot of my life story, actually, on the, the podcast, which was really fun. Uh, but where can we send people? Where can they follow you? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, no, thanks for uh, thanks for asking that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so the the podcast is the Da Vinci Hour podcast. You can, I think, if you, I think it's the only podcast named that. So you can search it on all the different. It's on every major platform: Spotify, Apple Podcasts. The webs the website it's hosted on the same website as Da Vinci Academy, which is dviacademy.com. So you can see our. Uh, different videos on there and our educational video content and then also the podcast is housed on there as well with every guest gets their own page and you know the, we have their little bio and description of all the different episodes so if you're looking for more information than just kind of listening um, and then as far as uh, you can find me on LinkedIn you know just Maxwell Cooper MD uh, searching that I'm at Emory um, there's actually another Max Cooper MD at Emory which is kind of funny but I don't think he's on LinkedIn um, he's much more famous than me. He's a, like a Lasker award winner. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to get him on the podcast soon. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, I, yeah, I should have, I should have thought of that when you asked me who else I'm, I plan to hopefully get him on to at some point. So that'd be funny. Um, but anyways, yeah. So you can uh, add me on LinkedIn and then in, I'm trying to build up my Instagram too. It's Mac, at Maxwell Cooper MD uh, as well. So that's where 
starting, I post a lot. Of, I post every announcement about the podcast on there. I'm starting to put some clips. We kind of, we made a cool trailer for the podcast that's on there. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And then all the, the DaVinci Academy is on all the major platforms too. you know, Twitter, Instagram link, there's a LinkedIn page too. So, uh, you guys can check out what we're doing there as well. Perfect. Maxwell, pleasure to have you on the show, brother. I appreciate it. And, uh, definitely looking forward to staying in touch.